Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. Lots of talk these days about breakthrough, probably because so many people need a breakthrough physically, emotionally, spiritually. We need God to show up in our lives. Would you take your Bibles and find Mark chapter 9, please? Mark chapter 9, as we continue our teaching series, 31 Days of Prayer, and we are talking about praying for a breakthrough today. Now, I'll be honest, as pastors and preachers talk about breakthrough, many of those messages tend to overpromise and underdeliver. Why? Well, because many times we, we come to breakthrough from a transactional standpoint. You know what I mean by that? Transactional standpoint. You've got problem A, and if you just insert prayer and faith and other religious activities B and turn the crank, then out pops miraculous breakthrough C. And if you don't get the outcome that you want, well, you just need to throw more prayer and faith and then turn the crank again. And if you still don't get the outcome that you're looking for, well, obviously it's your fault because you don't have enough faith and you haven't prayed enough. Now, that's the transactional perspective. Uh, I I hope you understand that there's a lot of holes in that line of thinking. And we're going to talk about that today because at the end of the day, the, the operative question at Crossgate Church is this, what does the Bible say, right? What does the Bible say about breakthrough? And we're going to jump right in. So everyone who's ready to, to jump in, say jump. Jump. All right, let's jump in. Mark chapter 9, a great passage on breakthrough, beginning in verse 14. When Jesus, Peter, James, and John came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all of the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And so I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up And he arose, and when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. 
So I'm going to give you four principles this morning about breakthrough straight from this passage, and then I'm going to ask one of our brothers to join me on the stage and share with us a story of how he has been in the middle of breakthrough for some time physically and spiritually. Okay, so let's jump right in. Principle number one is this, multiple roadblocks stand between you and a breakthrough. Okay, multiple roadblocks, and we see them right here in the scripture, they stand between you and a breakthrough. The first of which is the faithless crowd. All right, Jesus talked to this crowd and he described them as a faithless generation. Now, he could have described them in many different ways as he did throughout the Gospels. Uh, for example, in Matthew chapter 12, he described them as an evil generation. In Mark chapter 8, he described them as a sinful and adulterous generation. In Matthew 17, he described them as a twisted and perverted generation. But in this case, in Mark chapter 9, he specifically said, you're a faithless generation. Now, it's not as though they were out and out against God, but honestly, they really weren't all that excited about God either. They were just kind of along for the ride, giving God the crumbs, and not truly engaging. And of course, we're talking about prayer. The emphasis in, in the tone that Jesus said is ultimately about prayer. So this faithless generation kind of reminds me of, of what Pastor Michael Katz said one time I was speaking with him, and he was describing a particular church that he knew. And he said this. He said, I've never seen a church more resistant to becoming a praying church than that church. Right? These people were resistant to become the people that God and Jesus wanted him to be, a faithless generation, the faithless crowd. Here's another roadblock. Look again in the scripture, the skeptical opponents. You see the scribes here? Throughout the Gospels, we see the scribes, the Pharisees, and, and all of the, the leaders of that day sharpshooting Jesus, coming at Jesus with criticisms, and, and not in, a, in, a, in an honest motive either, right? And so many times, those are the critics we have too. When we say we believe in the power of God, we believe in the power of prayer, prayer makes a difference, prayer leads to breakthrough. Just a few weeks ago, I, and I referenced this in a message earlier this month, DeMar Hamlin, uh, the safety for the Buffalo Bills, took a shot on Monday Night Football and collapsed and went into cardiac arrest on the field. As the medical providers came out to begin working on him, immediately an impromptu prayer huddle of dozens and dozens and dozens of players just met on the field and began praying. Later that evening, uh, Dan Orlovsky, the uh, ESPN analyst, began praying live on, on air. Uh, in the next weekend, several different games, uh, before the game began, you saw huddles of, of football players out there praying. And, and, and it, it warmed my heart. But you know what? Here come the critics. And Twitter began to blow up with all the criticisms of prayer and the power of God and giving God the glory and that type of thing. Listen to some of these. Uh, case in point, I'm glad to hear that DeMar Hamlin's alive. But it's been so blank frustrating seeing every single network and everyone in the NFL saying that God and the power of prayer is what brought DeMar Hamlin back. Truth is, the medical providers are the only reason he's still conscious and with his family, and they need to be given all the credit. Critics, skeptical opponents. Here's another one. Dan Orlovsky's gratuitous on-air prayers won't help DeMar Hamlin. It's disgusting how some people have used the tragedy to advance their personal religious agenda. Critics, skeptical opponents, and here's one other. Prayer is what Christians do so they can feel like they've done something without actually having to do anything. Skeptics, opponents, critics. 
Here's another roadblock. We see it right there in Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 9, demonic powers. Now, in Mark chapter 9, uh, this is described as a spirit or an unclean spirit. Uh, in the corresponding passage in Matthew 17, it's described as a demon. There, there's a demon inside of this boy. And I will tell you that, that the devil w wants nothing more than to stand between you and a breakthrough. And specifically, the spiritual transformation that can and, and will take place through that, that circumstance and that breakthrough. Demo demonic powers. Here's another one, immature Christians. You say, immature Christians, where do you see that in the Scripture? Well, notice this father. Okay, You have this dad who's in the most unenviable position that any parent could be in. right? I mean, to see your child suffer, and I mean suffer like this boy was suffering, that's got to be the worst position to be in as a parent. You know, I, I think about my own children. If, if, if one of them was to be diagnosed with some terminal illness or debilitating disease or something like that, I say, God, please let it, let it be me. I would take it every day of the week and twice on Sunday before I want to see one of my kids dealing with this tragic situation. But I want you to know, so listen, I've got all the sympathy in the world for this, brother, but, but listen, look how he interacts with Jesus. He says, Jesus, if you can do anything, Right? I mean, come on now. Jesus, if you can do anything. Even Jesus was a little shocked by what this guy said. Right? I believe that this guy certainly believed in God. I mean, otherwise he wouldn't have brought his son to Jesus' disciples in the first place. But I also believe that this guy is the type of guy, and I, listen, you, if you're in the ministry long enough, you see, this, you see this constantly. People who, when times are good, they're just kind of just skipping along, giving God the crumbs, and not really going all in for God. And then when a crisis hits, the, really the only response they know to have is panic. Just panic. It's like the, the, the sky's falling, their hair's on fire, there's, there's no peace. It's just panic, panic, panic. I have been in hospital rooms. I have been in people's homes where, where they have been confronted with some tragedy. And they didn't really have much depth to their faith up to that point in time. And then on the other hand, I've been in hospital rooms... And I've been in homes where pe people that I know have had a, a, a pretty healthy relationship with the Lord. And going into that hospital room, going into that home, there's a difference. There's a different dynamic there. And sometimes one of the roadblocks is the fact that we, just, we simply have not sought the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the tragedy comes, and all we know to do is just panic. Okay? And certainly we want to step into that as pastors and, and brothers and sisters in Christ, but there, there's just there's a difference there. And then here's the other roadblock. This is the last one, prayerless disciples. Now notice, all of this happens on the street. And then after all of this goes down, Jesus and the disciples have a sidebar conversation. And out of all the things that Jesus could say to them, they say, how come we weren't able to cast them out? And Jesus immediately says, How's your prayer life? You think out of all the things he could have said, he said, how's your, how's your prayer life? Here's something you've got to understand about Jesus. For Jesus, prayer and faith are almost synonymous. Faith and prayer are almost synonymous. What's the scripture? Luke 18, verses 1 and then verses 8, or verse 8. So listen to this. Jesus told his disciples a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So here's a parable all about prayer. Okay, And the parable, kind of familiar one, the, a widow who's in need of some, some justice, she comes to the judge and she 
She bangs on his door until her knuckles are bloody. And then G and he finally grants her request. He said, look, just so that this woman doesn't wear me out, I'm going to grant her request. And then Jesus, of course, says, God's not like that. I mean, you can come to God in prayer. God is ready for you to come. God wants to answer your prayers and all of this. But then notice how Jesus wraps this thing up and puts a bow on it. Verse 8. He says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? There's prayer, faith. They're synonymous. So, so when, when Jesus says, how's your prayer life, disciples, right, he's almost lumping them in with the faithless crowd. That, those are all roadblocks. Now, look, I, I believe, as you believe, that prayer makes a difference. We truly believe that. I think it was Manly Beasley, senior, whose son pastors at Hot Springs Baptist Church years ago, very famous pastor and preacher. He said, for every great movement of God, somebody somewhere has paid the price in prayer. Or let's put it this way, and I'm going to put this up on the screen. Things happen when we pray that otherwise would not happen if we did not pray. There's power in prayer. That's why Jesus said, how's your prayer life, disciples? Prayerless disciples oftentimes get in the way of breakthrough. But that kind of leads us to the second principle, principle number two. Without God, and I got this from Tony Evans, Pastor Tony Evans. He said this, without God, you cannot. Without you, God will not. I'll say that again. Without God, you cannot. Without you, God will not. Now, we're hitting at the heart of breakthrough now because what we're doing is we're touching upon one of the most profound tensions in the Bible. One of the most profound theological tensions in the Bible is this, the relationship between who God is and how much, if any, he responds and reacts to what we do, right? In other words, is there anything that God does that's contingent upon what we do? I'm, I'm telling you, that is, that is one of the most profound tensions, theological tensions, in the entire Bible. And historically, there's really three different views on how, on how people address this. I'm going to give them to you real quick. View number one, God decrees everything in advance before the foundation of the world in no way based upon our actions, our prayers, our deeds, our words, etc. Okay, that's, that's view number one. View number two, God, dis, God decrees everything in advance before the foundation of the world while somehow taking into consideration our actions, prayers, deeds, words, etc. In a way, watch this, that remains mysterious to us. And then here's the third view, which I'll just tell you right up front is, is unbiblical, but I'm, just, I'm giving it to you because it's out there. It's called open theism. Listen to this. God created an open universe where, one, he doesn't completely know the future, and all God's people said, eh. and two, he has left things somewhat open-ended for us to fill in the blanks, and he truly reacts to what we do because he doesn't know in advance what we're going to do. Okay? Those are three different views. Right? The fact is, there is a tension when we talk about how God answers prayer over and against and, and within the context of his sovereign power and his sovereign will and purpose. Now, I'm going to throw another curveball at you. Okay, Here, Here's another curveball. Mark chapter 6. Jesus has gone home for the homecoming football game. High school reunion, homecoming football game, Mark 6, listen to this, verse 1 and following 6, Jesus came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown 
And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. If that wasn't in the Scripture, I wouldn't believe it. That there was somehow a limitation on what Jesus would do or could do based on the belief of the people there. Now, that's kind of interesting. Again, I'm not saying that I have this all figured out, and I'm, I'm happy to say that there is a tension in the Scripture, right? It, it, it goes back to the unity and diversity of God's Word, okay? There, there is a tension in the Scripture, but I do know this. Prayer makes a difference, and I absolutely believe that things happen when we pray that wouldn't have otherwise happened if we did not pray. Isn't that what, I mean, that's in the Bible, y'all. James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, listen to this. The effective prayer of a righteous person has great power. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Right, so prayer makes a difference. There's no doubt about that. Now here's principle number three. Spiritual transformation is more important than material restoration. Okay? Spiritual transformation is more important. When we're talking about breakthrough and the type of breakthrough that God wants you to have, spiritual transformation is more important than material restoration. Okay, so here's one thing that I've shared with you multiple times over the course of this teaching series, and that is this. God always answers prayer in accordance with his glory and with his purpose. Okay? God always answers prayer in accordance with his glory and with his purpose. Now, I want you to think about how God answers prayer and engineers things in accordance with his, with his glory, okay? So what was the point of all the miracles that Jesus did? Because you know Jesus did a bunch of miracles, right? When he was on the earth, he, he healed the sick. Uh, he, he, he allowed the lame and healed the lame to be able to walk again. He even rose a few, a few people from the dead. I mean, Jesus did miracles. But Jesus's point in those miracles was not primarily that, that the sick would be healed and that the lame would walk and that the dead would, would be raised, okay? Although those are certainly collateral blessings. Understand when I tell you this, that the, that the main point of Jesus's miracles was to demonstrate and affirm that he was the God who did miracles. The miracles were first and foremost about who Jesus was, right? So remember, God does all of these things ultimately for his glory. John chapter 9, listen to this, verses 1 through 3. And Jesus passed by, and he saw a man blind from birth. In other words, he was born blind. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. God engineered a circumstance and, and infused it with purpose, ultimately for his glory, but also for God's purpose. Whatever God's purpose is, he's going to answer prayer in accordance with that. That's incredibly important because otherwise you'll, you'll have nothing more than this transactional model of breakthrough. Well, how come this person over here got their breakthrough but this person didn't? Well, obviously this person had more faith and this person didn't. That's a transactional model that is unbiblical and quite honestly it's cold and heartless. But there are times when God's purpose in, in effecting spiritual transformation and deepening people's faith leads to different outcomes based on people and ultimately based on his will. Listen to this famous passage from Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, known as God's hall of fame, God's hall of faith, highlighting people in the Bible, in the Old Testament, 
who had, who had profound, deep faith in God. Listen to this, beginning in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now, who doesn't want to get in on that? I mean, listen, that's just a never-ending string of good news stories. It's wonderful. Who doesn't want to be a part of that? And yet, let's look in verse 35 and following now. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Who wants a part of that? Anybody want to sign up for that? But check this out. The last verse says this. These were all, A-double-L, commended for their faith. The first group, it wasn't as if they had any more faith than the second group. But ultimately, God was answering their prayers and working in their lives according to his glory and according to his purpose. And I will tell you, God's purpose and intent for difficulties in your life is to, is to affect spiritual transformation in your life, that God's glory would become more clear for you and for those around you, right? This is deep stuff, y'all. We're, listen, we're not just skipping a stone across the, the surface of the waters of Lake Washita here. I mean, we're, go, we're, we're going deep, so deep that there is a depth of spiritual maturity and transformation that even says, God, thank you for this trouble in my life. Don't take my word for it. What does the Bible say? Psalm 119 and selected verses, you are good and do good. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. That's deep. That's deep. And that's one of the reasons why we see that God is most interested in spiritual transformation not just restoring something physical or material or financial or whatever. There's, there's a deeper work that God wants to do in your life and in my life. Now, here's the last principle. Principle number four. God works best in him-possible situations. God works best in him-possible situations. You say, what's, what's him-possible? All right, go back in Mark 9. We, we, we see talk of possibilities. What is possible in the Scripture, overall, we see with God nothing is impossible. Okay? But, but a him-possible situation is a situation that you or I might face where we realize that if God doesn't show up, we're sunk. We are absolutely sunk. We have no other hope, no other recourse. God is our only hope. Those are the him-possible situations. And the reason why God shows up and works so well in those situations is because those are the circumstances that bring us to the end of ourselves. Those are the circumstances where we realize, I, I got nothing else. I've got to throw all of, my, all of my reliance and dependence and trust upon God. That's when God really starts to show up in our lives. And sometimes God takes us to the depths of physical and, and emotional and financial and material duress 
that he might do that kind of deep work in our lives. And sometimes he shows up in this way, and sometimes he shows up in this way. Case in point, just this week, I had one of the dear saints, one of the, the sweetest ladies in our church, call me up, and she said, my neighbor, he's about 50 years old, just about your age, Pastor Phil, a little older than you, uh, has been diagnosed with a, with, with a terminal condition, and he's only been given a few weeks to live, and he's lost. He needs Jesus. And I said, I would love to come and visit with that guy and, and just, just meet with him and, and talk to him about the gospel. And, and, and to find out just not long after that, uh, he didn't want me to come. He was not interested in me coming over. Well, then this dear, sweet saint, she basically just walked over to his house. He was sitting on his front porch, walked over to his house, sat in a chair next to him, started talking to him about the gospel, about Jesus, about hope for eternity. And she said, would you like to receive Jesus and trust Jesus now as Savior and Lord? And he said, yes, I would. And she led him to Christ right there. Praise God. We were praying. We, this was a prayer request that went out across our church uh, to, our, to our prayer network. We had a number of people at our church praying that this man would be saved, and that's what happened. Praise God. Now, barring, barring some miraculous intervention, this man has days left before he steps on into eternity. But, but praise God, he's stepping into eternity to be with Jesus forever. Another example, different but similar, uh, just this week, had a very sweet couple in our church whose young grandson died. We'd been praying. We, our church had been praying and loving on them and ministering. Their church in Little Rock was pouring into them and praying and, and praying some more, and yet this young, this young boy stepped into eternity. As, as we met, myself and a few of other folks met with this sweet couple uh, on Saturday, just yesterday, it was obvious to me that there was grief, sorrow, all of the things you would expect. But folks, I would tell you, based on what I'm hearing about this, this young boy's parents and, and their, their walk with, just tremendous walk with the Lord, and also the grandparents and their faith, there's a different dynamic there. And, and they, said, they looked at me in the eye and said, you know, this has been incredibly tragic, but we know that God is working. Our, our children have said that God has been working in the midst of this in, in, in ways that just unbelievable ways. So there, there, was, there was a sense, a, a certainty that God was at work in spite of the challenges, in spite of the fact that this little boy stepped on into heaven. You know, honestly, when I think about the guy that God laid on my heart to be my one, you know, we're doing our who's your one uh, emphasis. The prayer guides are almost wrapped up for this month, but I'll tell you, I hope you do the same thing I'm going to do. I'm just going to recycle mine for February and March and April and just keep praying for this guy that, that God laid on my heart. But, but he's a guy in my neighborhood, and I know that this is a long shot, a long shot, uh, a him-possible situation. Uh, I talked to you a little bit about that on that video a moment ago, uh, just this guy. And there, there was, a, there was a, something, there was a hesitation in my heart for this guy to be my one. And I, I kind of said, Lord, couldn't you just give me like some guy who's low-hanging fruit? I mean, just much more likely to be saved than this guy? He said, no, this is the guy. Okay. So, so I know, and, and God has been asking me, just as I quoted Manly Beasley uh, earlier, God has been asking me this month, are you willing to pay the price in prayer? Are, are you willing to pay the price in prayer for this, for this man? And I will tell you, when, when you do that kind of deep work in prayer, God does a deep work in you. He really does. Now, speaking of him possible opportunities and challenges, I want to ask uh, my brother Jet Johnson to come up.
on the platform. Jet, come on up, man. Many of you know Jet uh, and his uh, mother and grandmother and his family uh, from, uh, from back at Second Baptist Church that became Crossgate Church. And Jet has, uh, Jet's right in the middle of, of experiencing and, and, and working through a, a breakthrough on a, on a couple different levels. So, Jet, I, I, I really appreciate you joining us this morning. And, uh, and just tell us a little about, about how, how you grew up, you came to know Jesus, but then really in your teens and 20s, you really struggled. Yeah, I was, uh, I was saved at uh, around 10 years old, um, a little young for me, not really understanding how it all worked. Uh, and then I, I grew up and uh, maintained a relationship with God, but at the age of 15, I moved, I moved here and started going to school and immediately got involved in just the drugs and alcohol party life. Um, and so for the next, I don't know, 20, nearly 25 years, I played both sides. I would, I, would, I would seek God, but I would also stay in the world. And so that's not really, God does not like that. And it does, it does create a very difficult, uh, difficult life, um, a lot of pain, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of struggle. Um, and until the age of about 38, um, I had realized that my life was not, was not lining up with what God says our lives should be. And I was really concerned about it, and so I, I, <clears throat> I discussed this with my mentor, Larry, and uh, he worked with me for, for a while with that. And he, you know, I was seeking the Word, and I was seeing things, and I was changing little sins in my life. Um, but there was still a struggle. I was still trying to do it in my own power. Um, so I've been, uh, it's been a struggle just to get to, uh, to this point. And so um, I prayed to God, and I said, God, whatever it takes for, to be in right relationship with you, I'm willing. I was desperate. I was in this Groundhog's Day of just get up, work, come home, selfishness, self-centeredness. Um, and so about a year, a year later, I started getting some back pains and, um, it got, it got bad enough. I couldn't work anymore. And, uh, then it got to the point where I couldn't walk anymore. And so, uh, my mother, uh, rushed me to UAMS medical center and, um, immediately they found out that I was in renal failure. I, they needed four pints of blood to get me back to normal. Um, I was very disoriented, confused. I was bruised from head to toe. Um, and so they took care of me there and they, and they, they admitted me in the hospital. And then of course they came back and said that I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, which is a very, uh, it's not a fun, fun cancer. It's very painful. And, and um, I stayed in the, in the hospital for the next three months. And those three months were I mean, I really can't even describe how terrifying, how painful, constant pain was. Uh, and I only say that just to sh show you how good God is, because he took me from that situation of just panic and, and helplessness and hopelessness, and he spoke to me. That, that's, that's what really rattled me and kind of woke me up. And so, obviously, immediately I started seeking God, um, getting his word, talking to my, my brothers in Christ here, um, and I know that the, the church and my family and, and friends were all praying for me the whole time. That's one thing that they relayed to me. So those three months were a lot of pain, a lot of struggling, um, but every time I would go to get a procedure done and I was just a miserable day, I was crying, I was confused, 
there would be some text or phone call or, or um, uh, pe people letting me know that there's a whole other church, a whole other group of people who are praying for me, which would give me strength and give me, it would build my faith and gave me hope. And so despite how bad it was in the hospital, um, that gave me hope and it lifted my spirits. I really started seeking God at that point, um, getting his word, uh, just watching sermons constantly, just praying to God. And uh, the whole time, you know, I'm getting support from, from our family, our church family, my family, my dad, my mom, and my nana, Linda, uh, who, who uh, supported me throughout this whole thing. And um, yeah, so that's... So just to put all this in context, brother, I mean, just an amazing work of God and breakthrough is when you were diagnosed, they gave you a diagnosis of, in layman's terms, 90% of your bones are eaten up with cancer, right? right? And now you're at 0.3%, less yes, than one half of 1%. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was 90%. Uh, it destroyed my back and, and, and caused all kinds of fractures and kind of collapsed my back. I lost like four inches in height initially, lost 50 pounds. Uh, I was in really, really bad shape, um, and uh, and uh, sorry, what were you? What did you ask me? Well, just the fact that God—I mean, God worked in a way that's undeniable, right? Oh, absolutely. Just, just a absolutely. physical breakthrough, and yet, kind of like what we said in the message, and you and I have been talking and, and praying together, and yes. just really working yeah. through this. And I remember—I don't know—six or seven months ago, I said, "Brother, you need to start writing some stuff down. I just, did, yes, sir. Write your testimony yeah. down, journal." Journal the heck out of this thing, and now you've got stacks of, of books. Oh yeah, that I got, you've I got just a lot of journalings. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things going on. And I, again, I came into the to the uh, to the church, and y'all actually prayed for me, the the elders. So I was surrounded by prayer, and I and I can't express, I really cannot express how much I, I, I'm grateful for our church family and our and my family and and my friends who who were there. I mean, they were there for everything. They they took care of everything. So God, it's like basically God said, you're gonna have to go through this deal but I'm gonna take care of you on the way. Um, and that's what it felt like. And so my, my faith grew, I was there for three months and they finally got me back to where I could you know, walk and, and do all that. And then uh, after three months, they uh, let me go home. And for the next six months, I had, I had significant pain, um, but gradually God was working on me. He was showing me little things about myself, little sins that I didn't even notice. Um, uh, judgment, all kinds of stuff. And, and gradually I'd work on those things. I even put post-it notes on my dash of my truck just to remind me, don't, you know, don't judge, don't criticize, don't, because I really do, I'm, I really am seeking God now. Um, I want to do, I hate my sin. I, when, when I, God showed me recently my sin uh, through a situation and he showed me this deeper sin that I thought I didn't even know about. I was worried about the surface stuff, but there was a deep sin in my life, in my heart of selfishness, judgment, uh, it, it was, and when he showed me that, it was, uh, the next day after I realized and he showed me, I was in mourning for it. I was so disgusted with myself. Like, how can God ever save me? I, I was unworthy. Uh, how could God ever do that? And I, I thank God, I thank God just about every day for this cancer. Um, because if it weren't for this cancer, I would not be here where I'm at now seeking God, getting involved, wanting to, to reach the lost. I'm a different person. And uh, I think God got, just got, maybe just got tired of me playing both sides of, of the world and him for so long that he needed something that would last. And uh, it sure did. And so I'm very thankful for it. 
Yeah, a month or so ago, I think I shared that scripture from Psalm 119. Oh, gosh, yeah. And you, you felt like that really resonated yeah, with where you were at. Yeah, you came by, and uh, you had a scripture ready for me. It was 119, I believe it's 71 is yeah. the main one. But before I went af afflicted, before I went af before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your, your word. And that's exactly, that sums up the entirety of my story. And so... So I've been, uh, I've been involved with the men's group here and they've been great and, and uh, all kinds of people still, still supporting me. And I got involved with Regen and that's a, a Wednesday night deal where, um, you know, whatever, whatever hang up, whatever problem you have, it's just a program to help you, uh, to get you through that and to grow. The people who've done it, who've went through it, have grown exponentially. They, and that's that's they, here on Wednesday nights. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. And so, um, and like I said, now that I'm, I'm really surrounded by God and I'm, I'm, I'm doing the morning prayers, I'm, I'm on my knees trying to die to self every day, which is a very difficult thing to do, but I get on my knees and die to self. And, and I, like you said last Sunday, I believe it was last Sunday, there's a difference between sustained prayer and, and contingent, yeah, contingent prayer. prayer. And so uh, I, I basically don't get rushed in my prayers anymore. I usually, I would just pray and get out, but I abide. If I don't have anything left to pray for or say, I, I just abide. And, and I think that, that stillness in prayer has really helped change my life as well. And uh, Praise God. Yeah. Praise God. So how, speaking of prayer, how can we pray for you specifically going forward? Because you've got two more years of chemo coming up, I do. Right? Uh, yeah, I have. I take two different types of chemo, but because I'm younger and this is not a young person disease, I'm a, you know, it's a very rare disease and I'm a very rare age to have this disease. The good thing is, is I'm able to handle the, the chemo that they give me. And uh, fortunately, the only side effects of the chemo is, is fatigue and, and, you know, that doesn't sound too bad, but it, it, it can get to you and get your spirits down. So I would pray that, uh, you know, in the, in the mental aspect of it too, there was a, a huge mental and spiritual struggle for a while. I'm talking about, it, <laughs> I got really can't describe how, how horrifying it was, but I've gotten better since. Every day's gotten better, and uh, now I'm, I'm I'm doing better. Sometimes some days are better than others. Uh, physically, I'm great, um, but I, um, uh, yeah, that's just pretty much it. Wow. Let's pray for you right now, friends. Let's just let's just pray. Y'all join me in prayer. Father, I want to thank you, give you all the praise and glory. A man or woman can receive nothing unless it's given to them from heaven, and so we thank you for this physical breakthrough of healing and, and ongoing breakthrough physically that you've given Jet. But God, even more so, we thank you for what you're doing in his life spiritually. I, I see a depth of faith that I, I rarely see in, in followers of Jesus uh, developing and, and producing fruit in Jet's life. Yes, you brought him through some, some hellish circumstances and God, now I pray that you'd give his heart, his body, his mind, peace. Isaiah 26, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. And I pray, Lord, that in the days ahead, that this testimony today would just be the beginning of opportunities for Jet to speak a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word of truth into the lives of other people. And Lord God, I pray that ultimately for your sake and for your glory, you would establish Jet as a shining city on a hill that's pointing other people to Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for our brother. Thank you for his family. Thank you for allowing us to be his church family. And help us to continue to pour into him and to others in the days ahead. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.